quick thank you to our sponsors for making this podcast possible. They keep this show free to listen to. This episode is sponsored by Byheart. Byheart features a patent protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Their formula includes the most abundant protein, alpha-lac, found in breast milk, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum. Byheart is an easy-to-digest formula, which includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like an early breast milk, making it great for a newborn's digestive system. Byheart is the only U.S.-made infant formula made with certified clean ingredients, including organic, grass-fed, whole milk, not skim. What it doesn't have is soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast. Use code PEACE for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. I'm Michelle, recovering yeller, control freak, and perfectionist. I didn't want to be a connected parent, but my strong and smart oldest daughter would not succumb to my bribes, threats, and manipulations. After years of control parenting, I threw it all out and started over. I doubled down on the idea of connected parenting and turned in time out for time in. It's taken me years to figure out how to unknot sticky situations without using punishments, but I've finally cracked the code and now I can help you create the relationship with your child that you dreamt of having when you first decided to become a parent. It's not easy letting go of star charts and bribes, but you can change. Listen in as we interview parents just like us who found success and hear from experts who will help us better understand how to form a deep bond with our children. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. I'm Michelle, and I have the most amazing guest today, Dr. Laura Markham, and she is an incredible force in this positive parenting world. And so I want her to just introduce herself, and then we're going to talk all about siblings. Okay, introduce myself. Well, I have a PhD in clinical psychology. So I'm a mental health worker, but what I really do is I talk to parents. I spend all day, every day engaged with parents in the project of becoming closer to their children and helping their children grow into the wonderful people that they have the capacity to be. And so I've discovered, based on the research, they're basically is only one thing that matters. And that is your connection with your child. That, you know, we can either use threats and punishment, which have to keep escalating, you know, and erode your relationship with your child. So they get good at lying and they aren't motivated to do what you're asking. Or you can use bribes, but they also keep escalating and that turns into extortion. Or you can use the strength of your relationship with your child to motivate your child. So all of my work is connection-based. Mm-hmm. And what I have found is that when you have that connection, you still have to do some coaching with your child to help them be their best self and to learn how to navigate things with other people and how to choose to do the right thing. Yeah. But in fact, most of what you want to do with kids comes out of the connection. And then the final thing that I've learned in all this time is that our ability to manage ourselves is the precursor to the connection. You can't connect well if you're indulging in your own temper tantrum and screaming at your child. They're not going to be connecting with you. You have no influence then. So 
our ability to self-regulate, which means our ability to take care of ourselves so we can self-regulate, is foundational. So those are my three big ideas. And everything I know is based on that. And I really learned it all from parents and children. Yeah. And you can find more about my ideas on my website, which is ahaparenting.com, A-H-A parenting.com. Like those aha moments where you make a breakthrough and there's a thousand pages of information there that's free. Kids of all ages will find it useful. And I also have three books. Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids, Peaceful Mm -hmm. Parent, Happy Kids Workbook, which takes the work deeper and helps you learn how to set limits effectively with empathy, helps you connect more with your child, and also helps you self-regulate better and do better self-care and work through your triggers. And the final book is Peaceful Parent, Happy Siblings. And I guess that's what we're going to talk about today. Yes. And I loved that book. I remember when I first read it years ago, I was like, this is revolutionary. I don't have to punish people or shame people or scold people for being mean to one another, I can actually come with empathy. And what was surprising to me is that that it worked. Yeah, it's actually more effective. Yeah, we've been told that we have to do all these things or we should do all these things, these punitive things to our kids to get them to behave. And it's a divorce from all of that, but I'm so grateful that you put all this information out. So tell us, what is the crux behind getting the happy siblings? Oh my goodness. Well, I'd say the crux is that every human is born with a desire to survive, you know, a, a biological imperative to survive. That's why the human race is still here. And as a result, we look at competitors for things we need and we say, ooh, got to get rid of that competitor so I can make sure I get my needs met. And, you know, that's why three-year-olds push somebody out of the way when they're trying to get to the slide. But yeah. over time, we learn that everybody will get a chance at the slide. Just like over time, hopefully our two children or our four children learned that there's more than enough parental love to go around and that they will have their needs met. But I think the crux of sibling challenges, it starts with, will I get my needs met? But that's actually super empowering for parents because guess what? If we're committed to meeting our children's needs, which we are as parents, If we're committed to that, then we can see that we can meet their needs and we can reassure them they're just, the truth is once we demonstrate that we're doing it, a lot of sibling rivalry melts away. And there are specific tools that parents can use to make sure they're meeting their kids' needs. And that's really important. So that's the most important thing we can do. And then there's some other things we can do that are more along the lines of, well, you know, I talked about the three big ideas. So that's all about connection, right? Meeting their needs is really our connection with them. And then there's, what do we do in role modeling? When we're upset, do we storm around and you know throw things or scream at people? Well, then they'll do the same thing mm-hmm. and they'll do it to their siblings. So mm-hmm. our role modeling makes a difference. And then finally, coaching. I said that even when we have a connection, we as parents will have to coach our kids yeah. to help them learn skills to navigate the playground, to navigate the sibling relationship. So part of what we'll want to do is intervene. They're going to have conflicts. Yeah, Conflict is part of every human relationship, right? Because two people show up and they have different needs. So how do we support our children to learn how to navigate that conflict? Most of us aren't even aware that's our job, right? We don't know that's our job, right? They're supposed to get along. No, they're supposed to grow up. They're supposed to be human beings who have needs. And when they run into another human being with conflicting needs, we're supposed to coach them on how to work their way through that. 
constructively so next time they can put that to use, right? Yeah. Well, we think we need to just stop it. It has to stop. And then if it stopped, that's enough, right? We fixed it. Right. But actually, the only way to really address behavior that we don't like from another person is to get curious about why that behavior is happening. Is there some you know, big feeling that needs to be addressed, some unmet need that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. If we can do that with our kids and help them, you know, let's say they have an unmet need, like their sibling is knocking down their tower. So they, you know, the two-year-old, and so they push the two-year-old over and he hit his head and he's crying. Well, their unmet need is being able to build a tower in peace. We're furious because our two-year-old got hurt, but actually we need to teach our four-year-old better ways to handle that situation and get his needs met. And then he won't do this anymore. Yeah. What are some things that we should stay away from when it comes to the sibling conflict, the things that conventional parenting and, you know, wisdom tells us that we should do that maybe we might want to consider moving away from? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's called a leading question. And yes, what a great place to lead us. So, you know, we think that in that emergency, let's just go with the two-year-old and the four-year-old, We see the two-year-old on the floor crying, and what do we do? We turn to that four-year-old and scream at him, push him roughly aside as we go to the two-year-old. You know better. How could you do that? Look what you've done. And then finally, we go to the two-year-old. Now, that was completely unnecessary and not helpful because actually, we could have just gone to the two-year-old, who's the one who needed us after all at that moment, Mm -hmm. right? What we needed to do was to go comfort that two-year-old, help the two-year-old, and even say, oh my goodness, ouch, oh yes, you've got an owie, let me see. And then maybe we turn to the four-year-old and say, quick, Ethan, go get the ice pack for your brother, right? Suddenly, mm-hmm. Ethan, instead of being the perpetrator, the criminal, he is now the helper. He gets the ice pack, he comes running. He just wanted his brother to not knock that tower over again. He didn't yeah. mean to whack him in the head. You know, he now is starting to make a repair, redeem himself. He feels less defensive. After the two-year-old has calmed down and we give him something to play with and he's happy over there with his train set, we can go back to Brian and we can say, wow, that was pretty upsetting when your brother was crying, wasn't it? I was pretty upset. It's my job to keep my kids safe. I want to keep both my kids safe. Something happened though, right? You must have been pretty upset too. What happened? Now, if he thinks he's about to get punished, he's going to lie to you. Right. I love that part. (laughs) If he knows you're going to listen to him, and help him solve his problem, he's going to tell you because you're the parent, you help him solve his problem. And he'll say, he was coming after my tower again, and I didn't want him to knock it down. So I just kept him from doing it. Oh, but he fell. Looks like maybe you pushed him away. Well, I had to, right? You didn't know what else to do. You really wanted to keep your tower safe. You worked so hard on that tower. And I know he often does knock your stuff down. Now you're understanding. Now he feels like somebody's in his corner. Not only is he not going to lie to you, he's open to your influence. And you say, and when you push him like that, he's not so steady on his feet as you are. He's going to fall down and he hit his head. That could be really dangerous hitting your head. That really hurt him, right? He looks sad. Yeah. But notice I didn't blame or shame him. I just was like, yep, that hurts. It happened. Now it happened. I'm describing what happened. And I'm also describing that he didn't know what else to do, right? That he wanted his tower to be safe. So you describe what happened without blame or shame or guilt. And then you say, and you didn't know what to do. Is that right? I didn't know what to do. I told him to leave it alone and he wouldn't. And you say, 
you didn't know what to do and you told him. No, and he wouldn't leave it alone. He always wants to. He, he loves you so much and he looks up to you. He just wants to do what you're doing, doesn't he? And it's hard to make him stop. I wonder what you could do next time instead of pushing him because it's never okay to push him because he can fall and hurt his head just like he did and it's very dangerous. What could you do instead? I told him to stop and he wouldn't. What else could you do? He probably will eventually come up with the fact that you were in the next room and he could have <laughs> called you. <laughs> if he doesn't, you'll have to like offer that as an option. Yeah. And at that point, he's like, yeah, I could have, but you were far away. And then you rehearse it with him. You say, hmm, that is a problem, isn't it? I will always come running when you yell, mom, I need you quick. I will always come running. But what else could you do besides pushing him? I know, here. And then you take the teddy bear and you put the teddy bear, you know, you say, okay, here's your tower. Here's the teddy bear. This is your little brother. And he's right here coming towards you. I'm bringing him. What do you do? And then you want him to jump in between the tower and the teddy bear and scream mom at the same time. You're teaching him how to solve his problem. Yes. But you're setting a very clear limit on the behavior. And sweetheart, Ethan, what happens if you can't stop him and I can't get there fast enough while I'm downstairs in the basement you know, getting the laundry. What happens then? I push him. (laughs) You still can't push him. It's still never okay. He's little, you're big. You know, sometimes you're able to pick him up. I know not very well, but sometimes you do pick him up when you guys are having fun, don't you? You think you could pick him up? And in the end, it will be that if you can't get there fast and he's still calling for you, you can't get there fast enough and he can't stop the marauder, he's going to have to let the tower go. And he's going to be very upset about that. And you're going to say it's a last resort. You're going to, hopefully that won't happen. If it does happen, I'll help you rebuild it, whatever. But you may not hit your brother. I think the end result of that kind of discussion over and over again is that kids get that that's the highest priority, no matter what, that's their job. That's what you expect. But you do understand someone's in their corner. What if you had just sent him to the naughty step? Yeah. We started this with you saying, what don't you do? What if you just screamed at him and sent him to the naughty step? Taking away the box, we can't build towers, whatever. Punished him in some way. Resentment. He's mad at you. He's mad at his brother. He's never going to get over it. And he's going to probably retaliate. (laughs) Exactly. And will that help the sibling relationship? Will they be friends for life if you do this often? No. No. There will be a chip on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. People come to me often to ask about their children where there's a chip on the shoulder. And that's what I used as the code to describe the kid who never really got over the other child being born or being in this stage where they destroyed the other kids' things. And they never got over the resentment. They felt bad and wrong Mm -hmm. for their jealousy, you know? And it's so sad because those relationships, they grow up and there's always a little bit of an edge between them or a big edge between them and conflict. And one of them has to put each the other one down Mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, mushrooms over the years and gets bigger and bigger. And it's so unnecessary. We can help our kids from the start to clear out the resentment so there's room for love. Yeah. And I think that's it too. They love each other. And even in their worst moments, they still love each other. And if we can get back to that love part, then we can, like you said, preserve the relationship. And I wanted to point out too, that in your book, I love how you set it all up and you really play out these you know, scenarios for people to really grasp onto and that that is I think what helps people be able to bring it into their parenting every day. So that's real like help, not just like reading a book on, you know, the brain science behind it. Yeah. So thank you for all of that. I really appreciate it. 
And what do you say of those older relationships, the kids, is there still a way to, you know, I think I have clients who have children in their teens and they have a, you know, that big wedge, that big chip on their shoulder. And is there still a way to come in with neutrality and help them through that? I think it's all the more important to do it, but I think you have to do some other stuff too. So I think when they're having a fight, instead of, you should know better, we've talked about this, you can start with, whoa, 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 I hear some loud voices. What's going on? She wore my shirt and wrecked it, you know, whatever. Wow, no wonder you're upset. Yeah, but she does that all the time to me, you know? So it sounds like you've got something really important, both of you, that you want to tell your sister. Each have something important you want to tell your sister. Let's take a deep breath. So one thing we know about conflict, we know this from couples work. Mm. Used to be that couples counselors would work with a couple and they would teach them communication skills to express what they needed and wanted in a non-blaming way. And then (laughs) when that makes sense, right? That's what I was about to give you. Like, let's sit down with the sisters and help them work this out. Except it turned out the couples couldn't use those skills when they were upset. Mm. They just went on the attack because they were too upset. So we do know about conflict that you don't actually, whether you're a couple or a sibling pair, you don't actually get anywhere fighting while you're mad. It's actually much better to calm down before you actually try to work something through. And once you do that and you restore safety in the relationship, then you can work out the problem you were having, right? Mm -hmm. So at this moment with the two sisters, when the shirt that got torn is being banned, you know, waved about like a flag is not the time actually to try to work out the ongoing problem of them raiding each other's closet or whatever. Right. At this moment, you're basically just acknowledging you're doing what you always do with rage. Rage never begins to dissipate until it feels heard. Mm -hmm. So you're acknowledging the rage. You're saying, wow, I see the tear in the shirt. No wonder you're upset. You're pretty mad about this and you want to make sure everybody knows it. I get that. And as you do that, as you're looking at that kid and saying that your hand is on the other kid's shoulder Mm -hmm. too, you might be touching the one you're talking to, but you're also for sure touching the one you're not talking to. Right. Because Because otherwise they've already given up. You've just heard the other sister so well, you can't possibly understand their perspective and why they had to take the shirt at that moment. And it was completely justified given that the sister took 10 shirts in the last two weeks, you know? So they have to have the hand on the shoulder so that you feel connected. And then after you've acknowledged and validated the first sister, you turn to the other and you say, and they're sputtering, she always, and you say, I hear you. You think she always takes your things and you think this is just what happened and you didn't mean to tear it. And you acknowledge you didn't mean to tear it. And you think that it's fine to borrow from her because she always borrows from you. Sounds to me like we have a lot of misunderstanding here that we need to work out. And I also see two girls who are really upset. We're going to calm down. It's three o'clock. We're going to calm down. And before dinner at five o'clock, and I want you each in separate rooms doing your homework. Where do you want to be? You want to be in the dining room? Go for it. You're in the dining room. You want to be in your bedroom or you want to be on the couch in the living room, in the family room or whatever, you know, if you have a big enough house, if not, that someone can go in your bedroom if they share a bedroom, the girls, and that's where they study, whatever. Yeah. You're going to be in two separate rooms and you really don't want it to stretch out too far ahead of you. So really, as soon as they've calmed down, which is an hour is usually a good practice. In an hour, we're going to reconvene at four o'clock. And I know you really have not finished telling your sister how upset you are. And I know you really want to 
defend yourself and make your case because you feel strongly that you shouldn't be blamed for this. I hear you. We're going to take a breath. We're going to calm down. You're going to both go do your homework. I'll bring you each a snack. You're mollifying them, but that's fine. You know, because they can't come into the kitchen, you know, where they might run into each other and trip each other and smack each other. And you say, and then we're going to talk about it. And so, you know, when there's a rule of law, when there's someone in charge, they don't have to resort to nastiness to be treated fairly. That's what you just demonstrated. And this exact same message needs to get through to kids from the beginning, whether they're three or whether they're 13, that you're in charge and you've got their back and you will make sure... You'll set limits. You know, if the agreement is no borrowing something from someone without asking, then they need to make a repair. It might well be that this, you know, we can't bring in the past if we don't actually have proof that this girl took her sister's 10 shirts in the last two weeks. But we know this one shirt just got ripped and it may be that that sister has to make a repair, literally has to save up her allowance and replace the shirt. That may be what happens in this family. And you might even match the amount if it's expensive. You know, if she's only got $10 of savings and you need 20, you might even put in the other 10. And when she's upset about that, it might be that you're saying, I hear you. And if your sister takes anything of yours, we need to have a way to deal with that too. So what should that be? Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a court of law. There's a family meeting. There's some way of making sure that justice is observed. But if your kids know that that will be the case in your house, Mm -hmm. they will come to you when there's a problem. And you will have the opportunity. And the great thing about this is when you do this for a few months, and there are all kinds of ways to do the discussion, but it's basically this simple. It's, wow, I hear loud voices. Those are some mean words. Those could really hurt somebody's feelings. Let's all take a breath. I'm right here. Mm -hmm. I've got you. We're okay. We're going to work this out. And then they sputter at each other and you say, so you think this and you think that, if you can do it at that moment and not have the hour transpire. And then- you say, wow, so we have one kid who felt this and one kid who felt that. And so now we have this conflict. This is a tough problem. I wonder how we can work this out. I wonder what you can do so you're both happy with this. And then you help support them to come up with a solution. You might well write it down. You'll have to revisit it. You'll have to refine it, but it will work. And what we see is after about three months of that kind of an approach, where you're not making anybody wrong or bad, you're not adding fuel to the fire and to the sibling rivalry by shaming and blaming, you're focused on solutions instead of blame. What we find is that kids will actually approach each other that way. Mm -hmm. They'll say things like, the family rule is no teasing. When you tease me that way, it hurts my feelings. No teasing, right? But they'll cite the family rule. They'll say how it hurts their feelings. They'll say what they want and need. And notice that that child didn't also say, and you're an idiot. (laughs) You know, the kid kid who'd just been called a name didn't respond with a name. That's what usually happens, right? But once they learn the family rules and we approach it this way, then they say things like, don't call me names, right? Mm -hmm. And I see them accepting responsibility too. I see on the other end, like, oh, you know what? Actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry Mm -hmm. I did that on their own. And then you're like, oh my Lord, this works. (laughs) Yes. Or they'll say things like, I was using that still, but you can have it in just a minute. Could you give it back, please? I'm still using the red marker, but I'll give it to you as soon as I'm done. They say, whereas before it would have been, you took my marker, you know? Yeah, because you have to be right because you have to preserve your dignity, right? Because you're going to be shamed or blamed. So you're going to do whatever you can to preserve your dignity. And that means blaming the other person, then so be it. And not only that, you have to preserve 
your parents' view of you as being the victimized one. Mm -hmm. So we end up creating a perpetrator and a victim Mm -hmm. without even meaning to, right? And the victim has to prove that the perpetrator is always wrong and bad so they can preserve their golden status so mom or dad will always defend them and be punitive with the other one. And this even, you know, we started with what can parents stop doing (laughs) or what can parents start doing is also a good way to phrase it. Right. One way to start doing it is to, instead of comparing, speak to that child's, what that child needs. So Mm -hmm. I was outside and standing in a line and there's a mom with a stroller and a three-year-old maybe in it and and maybe a six-year-old standing next to her. And she's talking to the three-year-old and saying, we wouldn't have been so late getting out of the house if you'd just brushed your teeth when I told you instead of making such a big fuss over it. Why can't you be like your sister and brush your teeth the way you're supposed to or when I tell you or something like that? And mom had a valid point. She was really frustrated. Kid wouldn't brush your teeth. Got it. There was zero need to bring up the sister because now six-year-old has a vested interest in three-year-old continuing to not be a good brusher of teeth and not cooperative because six-year-old gets to be the little angel. And meanwhile, three-year-old feels like no matter what I can do, do I never can measure up to six-year-old? I hate her. She's the preferred child, right? All mom had to say was, wow, we're really staying in a long line here. I thought we'd be out of the house sooner. Took us a long time to get mobilized. Hmm. Seems like a lot of that was we had a hard time getting our teeth brushed. I wonder how we could make that go faster next time so we get out of the house faster. You know, and then use the child's name. Elena, I noticed it was really hard for you to brush your teeth. What could we do differently? And you know, you're not shaming and blaming Elena for not brushing her teeth or giving you a hard time. You're trying to figure out how to solve it. But notice the older sister didn't come into it at all. Yeah, totally. Connected that relationship. Yeah. And then you leave the remorse with the kid who needs to take ownership or over, you know, possibly not doing what they should be doing. And you're not usurping it and turning into them having this evil feeling about you. Yes, that's right. I like that. You're so lovely, Dr. Markham. Thank you. Thank you for the way you explain it. You know, we didn't, most of us grow up this way. No. And so we don't know these things. I mean, the reason I went into this work is that as I was finishing my PhD, I had a baby. I was talking to parents all the time then. And I realized, oh my goodness, parents don't have any tools to really work with that would support them to raise the kids they want to raise and have the peaceful feeling in their homes that they want to have. And it's because we don't give parents those tools. And we could, we just haven't understood that parents need to be supported. Yeah, I think that's it. We aren't supported and we don't have anything to rely on except for the way we were parented. Yeah. Yeah. And even me, I was a teacher and the way in which they taught us to be teachers was, you know, behavior management. Yes, yes. You reward and you give punishments and that's how you get the behavior. The sad thing is it works because the punishments and the rewards become so high stakes that the kids feel like they have to behave. But it doesn't necessarily work with all children. We lose no. a lot of kids along the way. Even in schools, we lose yeah. a lot of kids, right? There's the bad kids who are that's just right. unrecoverable. Yep. The kids who have ADHD and they just can't sit still on their chair. Yeah. Or the kids who are just, you know, rambunctious boys, you know, who this academic the way we do things in yeah. school doesn't really work for them, right? Yeah. Or, I mean, there's so many kids we lose along the way. I know. But in families, it's worse in terms of losing kids because that relationship with the parents, if you go to school and you get sent to the principal's office twice, you can at least go home and tell your mom. And if she understands and sympathizes and you feel like someone loves you no matter what, and yeah. there's someone to talk to, you can make it through with your self-esteem intact. 
But if it happens at home that you're always in trouble, your self-esteem does not come out intact. No, it doesn't. Many kids can make the whole orchids versus dandelions thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone's really an orchid or a dandelion, but I do think that there are plenty of kids who are resilient enough that they can make it through conventional parenting and they'll do fine. Yeah. But we don't want fine for our kids. We want better. And the kids who are the more unusual kids, whatever you might call them, and it's not just sensitive kids, it's also the strong-willed kids. Strong-willed, yeah. Yeah. And those kids, you know, my daughter jokes that if she'd had a different mother, she'd be a criminal. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I think that's an overstatement, but I certainly (laughs) see what she means. She was so strong-willed, right? Yeah, my oldest, that's why I came to this work. She didn't fall for my punishments and, you know, rewards. And so I didn't know what else to do. Come up with another solution. I think my daughter taught me much of what I know. And how wonderful for us to listen to our kids and learn from them. And I think that's the bottom line in parenting is to manage ourselves and to connect with our children and listen to them. And then to try to address the needs and feelings, to coach them through those feelings and meet those needs so they can be their best selves. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. I want everyone, if you have sibling issues, please buy her book because it is so beautifully written and instructed in a way where you can just, you can devour it. So if you haven't read her book, you should. If you haven't found her at AHA Parenting, you should also do that too. And just everything, Dr. Laura Markham is lovely. And so I point you there, all these lovely listeners who are partaking in this podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thanks for joining us on the Peace and Parenting podcast. And I will see you guys next time. Finding Dr. Laura Markham's work on siblings has changed the relationship I share with my daughters. I so enjoyed having her on this podcast and her deep understanding of connection and parenting this way. I look forward to connecting with you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peace and Parenting Podcast.